is expecting you. Yes, welcome to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, Mako's Logbook Edition, the Legend of Korra podcast where we know the future. Today we will be discussing Book 1, Episode 2, A Leaf in the Wind. Joining me as always is Corey. So yes, today we are starting on to episode two of Korra. We meet several of our main characters in this episode, or I suppose two of our main characters in Mako and Bolin. So without further ado, why don't Corey, you kick us off with your initial thoughts on this episode. Yeah, so we talked at length uh, last week about episode one and how great, not only was great it was, but also just how almost unexpected it was for me at least that having come back to watch this show upon you know a second time and now this a third time for me, about how much I, I enjoyed it and how much I thought it really set up the, the entire arc of the show. And I feel very similar about this episode. There's a lot of things that I really love in this episode, especially when it comes to Korra and how well the show does in, in, in really beginning her arc. And, you know, we spent an entirety of a, of a podcast on on on, um, on The Last Airbender talking about Aang's arc. And, and I think I said many things that I'm going to end up being similar here about how well the first couple episodes of The Last Airbender set up Aang's fundamental arc of a character. And I think that they do a great a great job of that here too. So you know there there's not that many things I have to complain about. Um, with that being said, we are introduced to, to sort of two two of the other main characters in this show, Mako and Bolin, who come in here in episode two. And I'm just gonna get some things out of the way early on because I think it's important for anyone listening to to understand my own biases and 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 things that I believe. I hate Mako unbelievably both as a character and honestly just as like a human being like you know both i would not enjoy him as a person to be around and also i don't think he's a very good character in this show um i'm starting to come to some a little bit of a combination of those and i'm starting to accept that some of more of my complaints are with him as a human being than they are with him as a as a character and look because at the end of the day there's nothing wrong with a story having a character who's a bad person. Like, there are plenty of people we consider great characters who are not actually good people, but they are who they we, we need them to be. That said, I, Mako I have real problems with, and I'm going to have problems with him in this episode and, and, and in, in, in general. So I I just want to get out of the way here that I do not like Mako. I joked, I joked with Corey before we started recording about, yeah, I cursed out Mako like four times in my episode notes. Just him walking on screen and being like, I hate you. I don't want you to be here. Go away. And that's going to be on some level my how I feel about a lot of a lot of him. So I just want to get that out of the way um, at the start. Yeah, and I think that was always one of my bigger issues with Korra as a series as a whole is that 
a lot of these characters feel like discount versions of their counterparts in the last airbender even down to like the ferret on bolin's uh you know that follows him around all the time it's just like a worse version of momo and like a lot of the strengths of Korra to me always came from like again the villains and some of the other characters but it, it, they i've always had issues with the main yeah core. but at least at least Korra, at least Korra, there's a point to it like all right i guess so unfor- one of the things i think and on some level it is unfair to mako because at the end of the day he is the neck the new zuko he is the firebender of this group he has well not the same personality a similar amount of brooding of sort of i wouldn't wouldn't say misunderstood but he's definitely like you know has that similar personality and you know zuko is by all accounts one of the greatest television characters ever put to you you know put to film and coming up off of that is really hard and in many ways i've heard like the reason that i hate mako as much as i do is mako is all of the bad parts of zuko without any of the good parts and while that's certainly somewhat hyperbolic there are that does kind of exist here for me like mako as a character in many ways represents the same kind of thing as zuko a a firebender who has had to grow up fast because of a difficult um you know family situation and what they you know what they've had to go through as a as a as a young sort of as a young teenager and those those actions has forced them to have a certain personality and 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 act a certain way and unfortunately that you know for zuko led him to being the you know the the character obsessed with his honor obsessed with a need to prove himself and prove and need the validation of his father which was really you know ended up being really bad for mako who has comes from a you know a different background but once again a one of strife where he's lost his parents early on we don't know that yet in the story but you know very quickly we're going to learn he lost his parents at a young age and has essentially had to take over and become the parental figure for her for his um for his brother think of remember that because we're going to talk about that in a bit in relation to a different character katara but in many ways, the, the the point of Zuko is that it it doesn't Zuko. All of this is is designed to set up the redemption arc that is Zuko, the redemption arc to where he's going to go eventually. And unfortunately for Mako, that just never happens. Part of it is because he starts out on the side of good from the very beginning, but part of it is just because the writers just don't do any real work to push him to becoming a better person. And I never really get the sense that Mako changes. I think the story is at times a little bit too sympathetic to Mako's personality. And that causes, I just think there's, there's nothing, there's really very little character growth for him. And in many ways, I think when we talk about Korra as a show getting better, part of it is that as it gets, the show gets better, it's because Mako and Bolin, as an aside, Begin to take a backseat. Yeah, yeah, and uh, even when it comes to Janora, like she's nothing. Like you, right now, if you were watching for the first time, you wouldn't think anything. All the kids, I really hate the kids so much, but Janora is obviously one of the best. And um, again, I, I'd say the strengths of this episode are in two front, kind of like what I said in the first episode, where 
It had a lot of the similar Avatar The Last Airbender tropes, which were enjoyable to sit through and felt familiar. And then this whole new combat sport with bending is a brand new thing all of its own, and it really brings its own intrigue. I mean, sure. I mean, unfortunately, the other big problem with Mako is his relationship with Korra, and then eventually his relationship with Asami, is a really major problem with the show i mean it just the, the teen melodrama just does not work well and this is again the beginning of the setup for that let's you know sort of have mako be like kind of ridiculously obnoxious to cora in a way that's almost like condescending and really weird um and that's part of the problem but i do like i mean you said like well mako's gonna meddle out and stuff i don't really get that much of a sense that that happens i mean there's a little bit of it in book four but for the most part like this is kind of who Mako is, and in many ways, any of his changes really come because he is not interacting as much with Korra as the, the show goes on. Yeah, I mean, we can have the, the Bolin discussion right here as well. I mean, I, I have a lot of thoughts on his character as well, and, and like, as I said before, that Mako is, in this case, the new, the new Zuko. Bolin is the new Sokka the comic relief character for this show who is there in many ways to be to be light to to add some levity and while we spent the entirety of the last airbender talking about praising Sokka for being maybe the greatest comic relief uh character ever in television i mean he is you know he works so well one of the keys to making that work for Sokka was he is both the comic relief but also maybe the smartest character in the gang. He's also the one who comes up with the plans. He's also at times kind of a, a leader when it comes to, to, to battle plans and things like that. And Bolin, on the other hand, yes, has all the comedy. And at times, some of the comedy works. He has some very funny lines. I think that the, the, uh, his voice actor's delivery is really good. We don't get that part of it. Well, it's not that Bolin is useless. He is a very accomplished earthbender. He's definitely kind of the, the member of the group that's sort of just, he makes jokes, and okay, sometimes he earthbends. Like, you don't get that. And I think that the, unfortunately, what it does is it creates a character who, for the most part, when he's talking, you just don't take it seriously. Because with Sokka, sometimes when he's talking, you have to take it seriously, which means that the jokes are able to land much stronger because you're able to say, oh, okay, I'm listening. There, something important is going to happen here. It's good. And then Bolin, no, you're basically always tuning him out because it's always just kind of silly humor. And again, sometimes that humor is funny, but it's not its not great. Now, I think Bolin, unlike Mako, is at his best in book one. I think book one Bolin is, you know, well, not amazing as a character. At least shows some really some good qualities. I mean, he is a, does seem like a very genuinely good friend. The way he treats Korra, despite some of the issues that, that they have with their potential romance ends up working out pretty well. I mean, Bolin's actually like really nice about it and, and actually acts in a way that's like pretty kind of heartwarming in some ways. That said, as the show goes on, Bolin leans heavier and heavier into the comedic side of this and just this doesn't work. And quite frankly, as I said, while Bolin may be trying to be the new Sokka, Bolin is not the new Sokka. A character we're going to meet in book two, Varric, is the new Sokka. Yeah. So let's let's actually talk about some of the breaks and sort of new aesthetics. So right away, very first thing we see is the way that uh, Korra chooses to do its previously on. While Avatar had Avatar Roku doing the 
previously on Avatar and then doing, you know, just whatever scenes that there were, Korra chooses to have a radio broadcast with the actual pro-bending announcer essentially setting the stage for the scene. And I really like this. I think it's a good aesthetic, both one, because it it fits the this new 1920s steampunk aesthetic. I mean, you, this episode is going to have the whole thing about them listening to pro-bending on the radio, and that really works. But I also think it does another kind of subtle thing where because Korra is a much more public-facing avatar than Aang was. I mean, Aang, again, throughout the first, most of book one is kind of like going places and half the people don't even know he's the avatar. And it's not really, even like once he becomes like very clear the avatar all the time, it's still like he's kind of just traveling around and like kind of anonymously. While Korra, as you saw from the first episode, is like doing a press conference. Is a much more of a, what seems like a public figure that is in people's lives. And it's kind of like, cool the idea like it, it sets the stage for that where it's you have like this radio broadcast almost like saying what Cora's uh you know going on in Cora's life and while obviously that's not like this is not diegetic like uh, this isn't really happening there is something too like there probably are like news stories and, and and things written in the paper on a daily basis about Cora especially here in book one so I, kinda, I just like it it's it's a it's a cool thing look I hated previously on Avatar for my own reasons I hate sort of these these pre-show setup things that I think they can really give away an episode a little too much. But as a choice for something different, I, I like this as a break. No, I love it too. And I, I like, I, again, I, that's one of the strengths of Korra season one is that it, it leans into the 20s, 30s uh, aesthetic completely. Um, but to bring back to the point about how she's a public figure and the, one of the last things that happened last episode was the press conference. It actually kind of annoys me because uh, I guess I'm jumping ahead, but when she's in, no one recognizes her in the match until she bends all the elements, and that's I think a kind of a plot hole. I I don't think so, and the reason I don't is because there isn't. A, it's not like there's television in this unit in this world yet. I mean, you're talking about the 20s. It's not like completely crazy, especially when she's pro bending when she has a helmet on that people wouldn't immediately notice who she I is. I guess I I I could have sworn it was also, uh, well, I guess you're completely right then, yeah. If what you're referring to is the fact that the um the the owner of the gym didn't recognize her when she um was in the stadium, again, like I, I, yes, she's a public figure, but I don't think she is like someone that everyone knows her face yet. I mean, again, she had a press conference, but it's not like she is on, like, again, there isn't TV. It's not like she's on TV. So I don't, you know, I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a plot hole at all. I don't think there's any, any, anything problematic about that. Um, so speaking of pro bedding and, and last week I did my sort of big disclaimers, things I don't understand why, people in the fandom have a problem with and i've seen like people have for whatever reason have a big problem with pro bending and this is one of those things where i was saying last week like a lot of the things that people criticize about this show really make me think that they haven't actually watched the show and are merely repeating criticisms they've heard from someone else who then repeated a criticism they heard from someone else because right here at the very beginning of this episode you have you have pretends and sort of talking about how much he doesn't like pro-bending. And he says, I mean, it's a mockery of the noble tradition of bending. And I will legitimately see, like, posts complaining about pro-bending and being like, well, pro-bending was this, was this proud martial art and this, you know, pro-bending, it's reduced to a sport. It's just, like, so silly. It's like, 
that can't be a criticism of the show. I mean, look, you can not like pro bending. That's perfectly fine. But Tenzin has that belief. The show admits that pro bending is this new thing. It's 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 not part of the proud the quote unquote proud tradition of bending. Tenzin is literally saying that like pro bending is completely new and different. And like it doesn't really make sense to me that people call this thing out as like some big problem with the show that they like invented this when it's like yeah, there are people in this universe who agree that this is not the, th the where they want bending to go, but it did. That's not like that can't be a problem. Again, I actually like pro bending. I think pro bending is really cool. But like, even if you think that like, wow, pro bending is really stupid compared to like how cool the the the, the martial arts and like the artistry of bending from from the original series is. Well, great. Tenzin agrees with you. There are people in this universe who agree with you that that's the, the choice. So they're not like destroying bending. They're just saying that some people act in bending in a different way. Well, you way. also mentioned that in the first episode is that like in real life, like actual martial arts has turned into like a combat sport. So like it happened with like actual – the same martial arts that bending is based off of, it, it happened in the real world. So it, it just in terms of world building, it makes sense for the Avatar universe too. Mm -hmm. uh, very good, very good segue, Corey. Because speaking of uh, um, of world building, another thing about Korra that I really, really love, and I'm I'm so happy that we got is getting to see Airbender culture. As much as you may hate the kids, I really love that we actually get to see what Airbending training is. I mean, you know, we talk about like it's. I'm glad that we didn't get another series of the Avatar mastering the four elements because. We already saw that with Aang, but hey, we didn't see Aang master airbending. It was just done from the very beginning. And getting to actually see like, oh, so this is how you teach airbending of, of this, you know, the, this circular movement and all that. Things that we, even though these are things that we know, I really love that. I also, I love the line, be the leaf. I know you hate, I, I, I know you may hate uh, the kids, but I, I, that line is just so, it's so fun. It's so, it's so perfect. And, like, it's just – it's such a cool thing to get to yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, in, in my favorite elements of Avatar, of Star Wars, of fantasy is the training. Um, and this does not disappoint. I agree with you. It's fascinating to see how airbenders train, and it makes so much sense why Korra is, is not – you know, taking to it in the beginning because everything contradicts who she is as a person between meditating and just having the patience to slowly not just bust her way through a situation and have to be have some like, you know, tactile. So, you know, in terms of narrative, everything makes sense to me. And and I again, I, I the yes, I here's my issue. Core, I, I dislike Cora this episode, not because the writer's uh were bad or she was written poorly it's because she was actually written great and like i am again much more in terms of personality wise more behind like uh, uh, an archetype like ang but that being said cora is treated very correctly and, and everything makes sense about her frustrations and and this watching her and then again it's it's funny there's such a parallel to, to star wars and and the failures of like the jedi because tenson even admitted himself that he lost patience with her and all, all pretty much all the contradictions led cora to do what she did so again i, I like those those parallels too it it, it also helps the two two really interesting things when it comes to the original series because for one you know getting to see this 
it's very understandable about how much Aang does not respond to Toph's initial training, which is just like, I'm rolling a boulder down here and you're going to stop it. And it's like Tenzin is, you have to be able to change directions at any moment, constantly moving, constantly avoid, essentially avoiding conflict. And it like really, it helps to put in perspective, like, obviously we knew that this is what airbenders were, but like really just getting to see their training, like, yeah, airbenders do not head, face things head on. When Korra tries to face the, 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 the spinning discs head on, what happens? She charges right through and gets, her, you know, gets battered down. And that's really great. And then from what you were saying about Tenzin and sort of how Tenzin has his issues here training, you know, I also really like like that because, you know, one of the things that is kind of problematic about airbenders is how much it does seem like they attempt to deny humanity. You know, you're supposed to be sort of calm. You're supposed to, you know, have patience and, and do these things. But at the end of the day, they are still human. And getting to see that, like, even though Tenzin is, you know, in many ways the true prototypical airbending master of he, he aspires to everything that airbenders um, seem to train, he is still a human. He is still someone with feelings and can't just bury those feelings altogether. And you're right, Korra is really pretty awful in this episode, and it's totally understandable that that, that Tenzin loses her loses his cool with her. But he is supposed to be teaching her these fundamental values of airbending and that goes against you know when when Korra disrupts it it causes Tenzin to be disrupted as well which again it, that's a really nice back and forth between students and, and obviously Tenzin is the way Korra has had no experience with failure because she took to the other elements so easily as a prodigy the Tenzin probably had no experience failing to be a teacher because she's he's teaching his kids that are natural airbenders so they're, they're both facing failure for the first time and, and on top of that, I mean, just talking about Cora's, you know, incredible emotional reaction. I mean, she gets so unbelievably frustrated here. You know, the other thing is, at the end of the day, Cora's identity is being the Avatar and being a phenomenal bender. She's been able to bend since she was, you know, we saw it in the very first moment you see her. She is a, a, a child and able to bend three of the elements. And you see that she is able to, to handle the elements throughout her early training incredibly easily, and it comes so naturally to her. And for airbending to just not work, for her just not be able to understand it, yeah, that's going to really get to her. She is she relishes being the Avatar. I mean, again, if, 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 if you have the two characters' lines, if you have Aang on one hand, which is, why didn't you tell us you were the Avatar? Because I never wanted to be. And Korra, I'm the Avatar. You have to deal with it. Korra is relishing the idea that she can master airbending and become a fully-fledged avatar and, and really take on all of that responsibility. And the fact that she just, for the first time in her life, can't do it, it's suddenly like, well, what is she? Again, she has had no real-life experience. It's not like she's been out doing things. She's been trapped in a compound mastering the elements. And for her, I think the only way she can feel sort of whole within herself as the avatar is to be really great at bending and figure okay i can is if i can just continue to master these elements then i can finally go out and do that and to essentially not be able to to do it to be completely held down by by her lack of air bending is of course going to cause this massive emotional reaction with her yep and i guess this also ties into what the other element of the story is is like if you're comparing it to like a teen drama like the parent 
you know, locking down a teenager in the room and, and while they just want to go out and hang out with people. It's like such an obvious parallel. So, like, it's more so than just frustration when bending. It's the fact that she's being held back. And even, like, the line where she said, like, how can you say that airbenders are all about freedom, but you're preventing me from listening to pro-bending? Like, that itself shows the contradictions in Tencent, too. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's 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 a very clear hypocrisy there. And look, I mean, at the end of the day, as much as Tenzin may be an airbending master, he's not a nomad. He's not an air nomad. He is lives in Republic City. He's part of a of a of a government. Um, so you know, he even he like ha- there's real disconnects going on with him. Um, so let's let's talk about the the inside of the pro bending arena. Um, first and foremost, I really love how they put the cinematography of pro bending together they just make it feel like a sports broadcast which that's literally what this is supposed to be you know they, they use they use slow-mo a whole bunch you have the announcer going on a lot of the shots are, are, are really do feel like this is what you would see if you were you know if, if there were cameramen like filming this pro bending match you know they, they zoom in on a character's uh, foot as they cross the line because well that's the that's what the the action that you need to see um like that was i really i really really liked how they how they did that and you know when you compare this like you know we had earth rumble six which was kind of the the wrestling thing which is this underground tournament um for earth bending where we see Toph, but for that like it was just kind of okay let's introduce Toph, and it was cool and i'm sure you loved it as a as a wrestling fan but to see like this is like high-end production this is like a truly major spectacle of pro bending is really like it's really cool and and they do a really good job of selling us on like this is a thing that like a lot of fans are coming to see and people are listening to you know uh at least throughout the city if not around the world the rule the rules are intriguing the the way they design the the court or whatever you want to call it to accommodate all the The ring, ring the to accommodate all the bending with the rock stones and the, the the tunnels for the water uh it's it's just such a cool concept and like again you could even like again the questions on like all right you need one of each bender on a team is is just a, a, a brilliant thing like the every rule made sense and immediately as the viewer you're able to pick up on exactly what the rules are it's, it's just there's as the spectator you easily know what's happening and right away, something you just said, that you need one of each bender, that is an underrated, really important part of this. One of the things that's so interesting to me about the way that Korra exists here, um, and we'll talk about this with Mako and Bolin as well, is that within The Last Airbender, you're, we see an incredibly segregated world. Because of hundred, hundreds of years of, or a hundred years of war, you have the Fire Nation, you have these two water tribes that literally don't talk to each other until, you know, halfway through the series. And you have the Earth Kingdom. The idea of putting together a pro-bending roster during the last amateur would literally not be possible. There are no, there's no place in the world where there's a collection of waterbenders, firebenders, and earthbenders who can come together in order to do this. And instead, here in this new world, both in Republic City itself and within just as the world is becoming a little bit more interconnected through new technologies with movement that happens with globalization, the world is different. And the fact that no one feels weird about the fact that a firebender, an earthbender, and a waterbender are all working together on a team for a sports league, like that's not weird at all. That's a really big change. 
And it's important for, for us to see that as early on here. And then Mako and Bolin as well as this is these are our siblings, you know, a brother two brothers. One is a firebender, one is an earthbender. We've never seen that before. Throughout the entirety of Last Airbender, there are no I mean, I don't have another word for it, mixed race relationships outside of specifically like Aang and Katara. And that's literally it. So like the fact that we get to like this is something that we actually see here um as like how different the world is it's that's really great and the fact that they don't like call attention to it it's not like okay let's have an episode where it's specifically like we're going to talk about how unbelievably weird this is no no it's just this is what the world is now and i i really really like that i think that's really well done but really important for understanding how different this world is in the last 70 years yeah no i agree again the 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 show in every way feels like the opposite of its predecessor for for better or for worse um and i i, I again I, I in for episode one i applauded it for taking risk and more so than just cora being the complete opposite of ang you're right the the entire world feels different and republic city is just the opposite of in its entirety of what the world was in, in last airbender and that's why even during my first viewing of cora i really enjoyed season one it's because like i i felt like this was the, the next natural progression of the story and and it was a very enjoyable ride yeah um you know we we talked a lot about mako and bolin in, in the intro um i mean we can mention a little bit about the about the, their interactions here um you know i i, I joked a lot about how much i i don't like mako i mean mako is very annoying in this episode and just like like come on dude like you don't have to treat people like exactly like that and it's sort of interesting that the the, the initial thing here is like him kind of yelling at his teammate in a sook and then a sook just bails and, and, and isn't there and basically quick core bails them out and sort of i don't know like a kind of a subtle thing but like yeah mako is clearly just a jerk yeah and even though i i you know when i originally watched it i had my issues of cora jumping in and then as soon as she started b bending the other elements are like oh my god wait you're you're the avatar and then like it was just it's it was funny to me i i it just you know when i first saw it i was like okay i remember the last episode ending with the press conference but i also liked how when cora finally did jump in she you know <laughs> all the rules she she started screwing up so i guess it was another natural progression too in inter yeah and like she like she clearly doesn't know the rules but she's also clearly a very accomplished both bender and fighter i mean she's been training like for this kind of thing her entire life and while she doesn't necessarily know the rules and i like that in the beginning she she struggles you know it's like she should be pretty good at you know potentially at understanding fighting and also she should be one of the people in the world who are pretty good at understanding the interplay between the three elements and actually understanding how to deal with both fire and earth and water kind of maybe not all at the same time but you know that's she's probably had training moments when she's actually had to deal with with all three of the elements at once which most people you know haven't so i think it's i, I don't i don't have any problem with like the fact that she you know does reasonably well at the end there and also at the end of the day like this is like still technically the, the the preliminaries like they're not even in the tournament yet so like you're you also know that this team that they're facing it isn't exactly like these are not the best pro benders in the world these are just you know decent people trying to qualify for the tournament now in, in real life if they discover in the match that the avatar was there especially because she bended all three elements during the match do you think that would have been an auto dq 
No, I think it would have been a penalty. And do you? Th- I I just don't think that it would be like if I'm the other team, I would have like been like, no, you can't use the avatar because even my preconceived notion of the avatar is that they're you know the best bender in every way, shape, and form. I feel like that would just cause like a complete disadvantage and <laughs> you know like. Not- Let's. I mean, yeah, but I, that's true. But because Korra has been gone for a, like, because Korra essentially like this, the world kind of hasn't had an avatar for seventeen years essentially because you know Korra has been off somewhere. I kind of think that like you you got to figure like at this point this is sort of the moment where the people have the like quote unquote lowest view of the avatar. That makes sense. Well, I mean, I think the avatar mythos, you know. Not, and by lowest, I don't mean like most negative. I mean like in terms of power. Like you're not like. I don't think people, it's not as like in your face because it's been a while since the Avatar has shown off their, you know, bending prowess. I mean, also keep in mind that this is an entertainment thing and you got to figure Korra being in that arena is going to generate a whole lot of entertainment and a whole lot of publicity. So you figure the people putting it on definitely would love that she's there. Just an aside, are, are these the worst White Lotus members ever? Um,. I'm not gonna say ever. I mean, I, the White Lotus is not supposed to be doing this. I know, but you know, they're they're pretty useless in their in their jobs. <laughs> I I, w- <laughs> I mean, yes, but I I don't know. She's a teenager. She snuck out. That's not the craziest thing in the world. Um. So yeah, I mean, you, I do I do like Tenzin's you know little you know line there at the end. He's he's watching and then you know notices her her footwork and sort of realizes, oh, some of my some of my teachings might actually be sinking in and and just realizing that for Korra she's going to learn through fighting in a way that she's not going to learn through meditation. And while she is going to eventually learn how to meditate and understand to calm down, that stuff is important. At the end of the day, the best teaching mechanism for for Korra is putting her under pressure in a situation where she has to fight, you know, while it might not be for her life, in this case, for a spot in a, in a tournament, it's still like, this is the thing that she really cares about. And of course, that's going to be the best, best training method for her. Yeah. They both, it's, and the best part about this episode was Tenson wasn't wrong and Cora wasn't wrong, right? There was truth in what both of them were saying. Well, I would say the opposite. I think this episode is great because Tenzin is wrong and Cora is wrong. Sure. I mean, they're either both wrong. I know we're saying this, we're saying the same thing, but I'm by phrasing it as I like that Tenzin. Like you're right in saying that Corey is right that um, like what, this isn't about freedom. They're basically keeping her locked up. But I think that it's it, to me, it's more that both Cora and Tenzin have failings, and I like that they're willing to show that. It's not that Tenzin is the perfect master. They both have their failings. They both need to learn from each other. So any 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 final or any closing thoughts before we give our final thoughts in our um, rating? Just interesting how the main villain of season one, Aman, was not uh, at all in this episode. Not even a tease of him. Uh, that actually, to me, is I don't know if I want to count it as like a negative, but I I think it kind of is. I I think obviously the point of the episode is not about Amon at all, but I think if you're going to have a steady build of your your main villain, I think there should have been at least a tease. I I don't agree with that at all. I'm really happy Amon isn't in this episode. I think that this episode is not about Amon, and adding him in here as just like, if it's literally just like a tease at the end, 
doesn't accomplish like it doesn't have anything to do with this episode this episode is about Korra's airbending potential problems introducing pro bending and a lot needs to happen in this episode so like i just think that like if you add in a scene at the end where amon is chatting with like his evil henchmen it doesn't do anything or maybe maybe not like in, have amon but at least have more of the world building behind like his resistance of you know his anti-benders where like they could be protesting outside of the pro uh, league or something just a visual something it doesn't have to even be a scene it could just be visuals that there's still something i mean that might be i wouldn't have a problem with that per se i don't think it and, I, and I think his his followers would would easily be like protesters outside of like the the pro bending arena or i mean they they will be there things are i know i know I, i'm aware of that arena. but i that, that's my point to you is that it, it could have set seeds for that that even build and explode into that maybe and maybe you know as as we go maybe if 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 it turn if i see that that i don't think that the equalists are well set up i'll agree with you i just don't think that that's i i don't think the problem with the equalists is their setup i think the problem is their ending so i don't i just don't have i don't see a problem with that at least for me so with that, we can we can wrap things up and give our, our final thoughts and our ratings. Um, you know, in general, just in case anyone is, is new to Korra here, we are rating on a scale between 0 and 10. We are rating against all of television, with 5 being an average, 10 being perfect or as close to perfect as you can come, and 0 being completely unwatchable. You would not recommend this to your worst enemy. So with that, Corey, why don't you give your final thoughts and your rating for Book 1, Episode 2, A Leaf in the Wind. I echo a lot of what I said last week. Um, a lot of the elements that were good from last week were present here. It, it felt very similar in half of the episode to Last Airbender, and exploring airbending training is, is new and exciting and exactly the the stuff that i eat up in avatar and then the the new stuff uh was fully explored as well and done like to perfection almost where i i think the aesthetics of pro bending are brilliant and like amazing to watch and the rules make sense and uh the the arena the the ring looks amazing and again just like what makes avatar great is just the way they flow combat in, in such a gorgeous way and just the visuals of seeing all the benders one of each bender on each team working together is just the the opposite of what you're used to and especially from the last airbender and you know the message of the episode was great it was a solid solid episode a feel-good episode um despite you know my reservations about aman not being in it or just the fact that mako was I, in my opinion, the worst he has been or will be in the series, and I just don't like, you know, uh, Bolin either. It's, you know, I, I can't bring down every episode because I don't like them as characters. I won't. So, I mean, I, I in, in terms of this episode, I think with all the things that went right, I think this was a solid 8 out of 10. Yeah, I think I'm right about in the in the same place. I, this is a really good episode. I, I really enjoyed it. I agree with Corey completely that the pro bending is is really cool, and I love that that it's introduced here. Um, you know, I don't particularly like Mako, and I don't love Bolin, and unfortunately, they are introduced in the episode, and that's you know going to be a negative again against it. And in general, I just don't I don't like the way Mako acts on this episode. Um, but with that said, I think this episode is really good for for setting up Korra, more of Korra's arc and. 
again, in, in terms of like being the second episode of, the, of this series and being the, the, you know, another, you know, more of an introductory episode, I think they do a really good job. So, you know, really, really good. I'm going to give this an 8.6 out of 10. You know, a little bit, little bit weaker than last week. I mean, Mako and Mullen just do that. And, and in general, there's not, you know, some of the, the truly great stuff just intro, of an introduction, uh, but still really, really good. And, you know, continues a really strong start to, to Korra. So uh, thank you guys uh, for listening in. Thank you, Corey, for, for being here. Um, we will be back next week with episode three as we are introduced to a very, very important character. And so look forward to that and we'll see you soon.